Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, another international break and another chance for this England side to state their core brand values. Capable against weak opposition, quite good at scoring goals, not quite right in central midfield. A wonderful football cocktail. Wales, meanwhile, have discovered they're much better when players from Real Madrid and Juventus are available for them, but it's less exciting for Scotland and Northern Ireland who will have to rely on the playoffs to make the Euros. Plus, a Premier League preview featuring a potential barnstormer in Manchester and an excellent and well-attended weekend in the WSL. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined, as usual, by Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? Yeah, I'm having one of those forgetful mornings. Oh, no. You know, forgot my party. I had to walk back and get it. It was, yeah. It's been a long morning. Is it a little bit difficult for you to relinquish the hosting chair? I wasn't here last week. We sat in this actual chair. Yes. I actually even specifically asked for it. Good. Because Matt was trying to steal it. And I was like, no, you're absolutely not having that. And it's so much fun being on there that I'm like, you know, I just... I don't know, Tom. Yeah, I feel I d- like we should switch. I do sit on a throne <laughs> in the audio. Well, you did a fantastic job, Mina. Thank you very much. Alongside her, it's Sam Dean, the boy wonder. How are you, Sam? I'm good. I'm back. Back in the game. I've been out for, what, a month or so? So yeah, uh, it's an honour to return. Absolutely. How about you, JJ? Are you feeling honoured to be here? Yes. We played football yesterday. We lost 7-2, but it was a lot closer. That's an improvement. That That's yeah. an improvement. We're getting a lot better. Good. Better. Speaking of thrashings, which were closer than they sound, what about England through to the Euro 2020 tournament? Top of their group. Quite a poor game against Kosovo. 4-0. A little bit harsh on the home side in the end, JJ. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all the goals came at the very end. and They're kind of a barrage uh, after Kosovo had... I think they did quite well to hold them back. They pressed really high up the pitch when they could, and then they dropped into a block and let England play out. And then Declan Rice would just put it backwards or lose it. I'm not sure he is the answer to their holding midfielder role. Um, I thought Callum Hudson-Odoi got a lot of harsh press. I don't think he... I mean, he was trying to get involved, but the ball was rarely on his side. But I can't work out whether that's because Raheem Sterling was usually on the opposite wing and the play was going through him most of the time, or because he needs to try and get involved. But if he tries to get involved, then he leaves his position vacant, and then there's no... He loses shape. So what's he meant to do? Yeah. 
yeah, tricky for Callum. What about Kosovo, Mina? I feel a bit sad Kosovo aren't going to be with us for Euro 2020. They gave England a couple of good games. I know. I thought I thought they were actually the most exciting team to watch, to be frank. Also because they're just not a side that's sort of willing to be like, all right, we're very bad, so we're going to try to defend and see what we can do. They actually try to play enterprising football. And it's fun to see. I thought, like, I almost felt like it was a bit weird, like how grateful they were in the way that, you know, like the whole thing was hosted. It was like, thank you, England, and we love you, England. It was almost like... There's some historical context for that. Am, yeah. I, am I right? I think yeah. a, it, it is, a, you know, the way that England sort of rescued them from, I guess, so what they felt were the advances of Serbia. Um, different podcast, very different podcast. <laughs> yeah, probably. I'm not very good with this stuff. So, um, but either way, uh, they are a very, I still think they have a slim chance of getting through. But if they had better finishes, then I feel like they would have been, they would have really given England a good game and you know, shock them a lot more and perhaps even come second in the group. Are they in the shake-up with the Nations League and the playoffs? Mm-hmm. Is that... They're in the playoffs. Ah, okay. I think. That's good. good. We, may, we may still have our Kosovo fun across the continent next year. I don't year. think Kosovo are as, are as great as I've seen a lot of people write. They seem to because I know they had a good run of games where they kept winning, but they're not actually all that. Is the point not that they're just far better than they should be given their resources? Uh, probably, but I think, I mean, they are where they should be in the group. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you're right. But I think the the way they play and the fact that they are so young as a footballing nation and as a nation in general and the whole vibe around it makes it quite a nice story, which is probably why they get in that PRU reference. Two Spurs players on the score sheet, Sam, uh, Kane and Winks. Do you think they're enjoying their time with England more than they are with their club at the moment? Uh, it looks like it. Harry Winks certainly seemed to be enjoying a more advanced midfield position yesterday. He was... Um, Excellent. I thought he was probably England's best player and rightly sort of been hailed hailed this morning by all the papers and all the journalists who were there. Um, he was also very good last week in a holding role. So I think he's probably come out best of anyone from this, uh, this international break. Um, I'm not entirely convinced he's the man to play the holding role against better teams um, simply because there's a defensive responsibility there which he's not necessarily the best at doing compared to someone like Declan Rice who is more tackle you and win the ball back kind of vibe but the way he controls play the way he dictates the tempo I think was um, was really encouraging for England and getting his first goal was nice and the first yeah. touch for that is so Stunning. good yeah like mm, it's really Stunning. underrated bit, bit worried about the central defender there is that harsh he's turned inside out he's gone the wrong way he's off balance he turns around and knows he's done and that's why he stops <laughs> then, yeah. he's, then he's gone I know I'm done yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to bother even chasing this see now. everyone else is like oh that's nice yeah he's in yeah. But yeah. I, I was surprised that they played with a double pivot I was just like you know a, a little bit like why don't you just go crazy in this and just have like who Kosovo. England they, they played with one it was a 4-1-4-1 four, one, four, one. England, mm. as in like, as in why Rice and sort of uh, Harry Winks, like why not put Mason Mount from the start, basically? Well, they put Winks in that Mount role. Yeah, so and allowed to, the to left of right but, yeah. but Mount forward. is a little bit more creative, a little bit more... Mm. It's not a 10, but they're playing that 4-1, four, 4-1. One, four, one. It means you've got two diamonds in the middle of the pitch and your wide players can stretch the play. It seems to work really well for them. It's a little bit of a change from what he's been doing. It's a lot more like what Leicester have. That's why Rice, you always see it when they're out of possession. It's always 4-1, four, 4-1. One, four, one. And then the wide guys go up top and make a three. Do you think it should be Rice who starts? Uh, I do not, but I don't know really who goes there because I agree with uh, Sam about Harry Winks. I think he's a nice, tidy player, really brave on the ball, shows for it, always looks for it, and you need that in your team. But uh, I mean, I think there must be a reason why he's put Rice in against Kosovo and he had uh, Winks in that same role mm-hmm. in the game against... 
Who's the other team they beat? Montenegro. Montenegro. Mm. Yeah, because you know you're going to have more of the ball against yeah. Montenegro. Yeah. Um, and They're a much weaker team. Yeah, and Kosovo, although they'll press you high, you, you want to have someone who, who's back who can deal with... Because, I mean, they got caught out... Uh, actually, like, the goals that they conceded against Kosovo in the 5-3... And a couple of them are Rice's fault in the first place. He well, played that holding role there again, yeah. That's why I was wondering. I'm like, do you need necessarily... I, I'm trying to think of who I would play instead of Rice, but because I, I don't feel like he's been amazing for England so far. But right. I, I do think that you, I know what you mean by his type of who he is as a player, as the right player to put in in that midfield to allow for the others to sort of go forward. But I mean, Henderson, maybe? He might be the one that goes in there. He doesn't play there for Liverpool anymore. No, he's sort of ball winning. Yeah, he goes forward. It's a There's few teams that have a really good holding player. Like Holland have like Frankie de Jong, for example. Yeah. But there's a few teams in world football. Like Sergio Busquets is still there. But mm-hmm. it's hard to find them. I'm not sure England have one just now. Yeah. Eric Dyer. No. Ooh. Lost the lost Eric Dyer. No. Back to 2016. Uh, <laughs> what about England as a whole? The job was very much done with the 7 0 victory against Montenegro earlier in the week. Awful opponents, but a good sign. I think that England had recovered from that blip against the Czech Republic, that unexpected defeat to them. How do we assess the team as a whole? It seems pretty clear that defence is the problem for England if everyone plays to their potential in midfield and attack there's plenty to go out there plenty of goals in the team is there a path between now and the tournament starting Mina where England can find a capable international tournament challenging defence do you think well, I think that what what's interesting is that you sort of kind of know who's going to play in your attack. You know there's going to be definitely Sterling. You definitely know it's going to be Kane and probably going to be Rashford. But when it comes to defence, you kind of have no idea. Is it going to be Trent Alexander-Arnold? Is it going to be Kieran Trippier? Who's going to be your centre-backs? Is Stones going to come in? Is Tyrone Mings? You know, obviously you, you feel like Harry Maguire is the only one who's got his position nailed down. And I think because of the instability there uh, and the fact that there's still that problem when it comes to the, how they in, like change in the transitional phase to try to block counterattacks, counterattacks are still a problem. And you just feel as soon as they lose possession, it's a problem. And uh, they need to find a sort of stability at the back, have uh, an, a clear understanding there. I don't think Keane is perhaps the right person to put there. I think I do really like Mings. Um, I think that he works so well at the back, but you know it's up to Southgate to find his proper back line and just allow that to allow them to foster and 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 fluidity and understanding between them, and maybe that will change things. But I do sort of look around, and I know there's a lot of criticism about the defence, and I do think it's a problem. But I look around, and I just feel like when it comes to this Europe qualifiers, I haven't seen many teams that have been that good defensively either. So. Just go all out of time. Bring really. Keegan back. Just uh, we'll score more than you. But if you go and score, I mean, you you, you are going to leave gaps if you win games seven nil and four nil and stuff like that. Like because yeah. that's just a natural consequence, right? Absolutely. So the, being vulnerable to counterattack is purely a consequence of like of numbers. It's like numerical people. The amount of people they have going at you, you're going to be caught out. And the goals they conceded when in the five three were mistakes, individual errors, and the penalty. Uh, and the the well, they lost in Czech Republic. I'm, it's probably a sort of similar thing, right? I think, that, like, I mean, they're saying Tyrone Mings looks like a really good player because he's just hardy and gets rid, right? And you kind of want that sometimes because they're trying to play out from the back. But you've got to think about things like when Trent Alexander-Arnold plays in the right, he's so high and wide. You saw it against Kosovo constantly. He's so high like a winger, like he does for Liverpool. 
And you see that with uh, Andy Robertson at Scotland as well. They're so used to playing that <laughs> high that they need to play with someone behind them to the side. Who's who, willing to drop back. It's not that they're up. willing to drop back. It's that they know when they're going to do it and they know to cover that space and when. It's something that they must work on a lot in training with, with Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool because that's so... A lot of fullbacks play that play high but not as high as Alexander-Arnold and then maybe Trippier is a little bit deeper so that's a bit safer but then you need someone else who can stretch the play in the right it's just so many every single choice you make has a knock-on effect but it really is about like as in if you if you can just get the midfield sort of the outside midfield um, to to know how to sort of get them to understand what the fullback is going to do in their movements and maybe help in that defensive lineup. But, then, that what you but they would always start wide to give you width and then but if they start that wide they can come inside a wee bit I'm not sure that's just purely in build up like, it depends if you're out of possession or in because then they have different positions depending on the phase of play and where yeah. the ball is have you, have you got any solutions JJ do you look at that defence and think I'm bringing this guy in I don't think I'm going to make bad. them play like that okay. I saw this that's question good. I don't understand uh, yeah, I don't right. see where it comes from Like I like the way that Southgate's making them play forward and they're enjoying it and you can see they're enjoying playing they're error prone though aren't they and that is that a mentality thing? Do you think perhaps? But individual than... mistakes, the like error prone, I think, is things like Declan Rice giving the ball away and they, they counter you high up the pitch, and that's how they score. And I don't think that's something you can't really coach out of someone. You just you don't want them to get rid. You want them to keep playing the ball, but you need them to have confidence and be brave to keep showing for it. So it's good that they're doing that. What you need to think is, uh, I think Mina's right. They need to have a stable line because then you grow used to each other and get partnerships. That's why a lot of um, national teams will use club partnerships at the back because that helps you kind of. They, they have an understanding but the whole team is what defends it's not just one player in a back yeah. the, the, the problem with what you're saying Tom about let's just go get him all out attack sort of thing win 4-3 is that that very rarely works in tournaments and if yeah. you look at like yeah. the last 20 years the teams that have won tournaments probably with the exception of Brazil in 2002 and maybe Germany 2014 although I think they were still pretty built much built on a solid core is that these teams are first and foremost grinders defensively grinding yeah. Yeah. Portugal, and then, Greece and then, yeah. yeah even I mean look at the four semi-finalists in Russia England, Croatia France, Belgium France had the best defence and France won and I think it, that probably and I, Spain had the best defence when they won three tournaments in a row like Germany won it for me because of the fact that they knew how to control the ball in midfield mm. so they know how to there's a difference in sometimes like for example Kevin De Bruyne is a really great player like just you know for Manchester City but you feel like sometimes he has this urge to keep pushing forward to keep trying to break the lines when sometimes all you need to do is just maybe fall deeper just keep the ball and then wait uh, so that you can create your triangles or whatever it is I feel like that's what what the, what the difference is with Germany was that they had Cruz and Khadira they had that ability to control midfield you have Kante you have players for example in, in France as well who know how to hold possession when, when the time comes I think that's what we need to have necessarily or if you are going to lose possession make sure you lose it perhaps somewhere where it's not so easily to quickly counter attack in, in a vertical fashion when you say we you mean England right? yeah, yeah sorry I do mean England um, and I feel like that's where your midfield needs to exert that kind of control to sort of shore up the defence and that's what England's never really had at tournaments exactly but also that point you make about Germany as well this is a bit of a slightly as an aside but I was reading uh, Per Mertesacker's book recently and he said that in the 2014 World Cup Meza Ozil's job he was told your whole job is to keep the ball <laughs> when, when the team's under pressure just there pass it go. to Meza and he'll just keep the ball it's mm. what Modric did against England when mm. it was all like yeah. you know because obviously England are so like ferocious when they go forward he just knew which which space to occupy and just he just kept the ball mm. and kept filling the spaces and I was like that, that in intellect of a midfielder like that can actually change the game we have to rake over the old coals of Raheem Sterling versus Joe Gomez. We've not had a podcast since that all blew up. It's one of the oldest football cliches, Sam, that these things happen. 
every day at training grounds up and down the country. You spend a fair bit of time at Arsenal. Have you ever seen anything like this? Is it true, the cliche, that players are constantly fighting with each other? Uh, I think it. There's definitely, I think there are naturally clashes between uh, egotistical, testosterone-fueled, sometimes unintelligent men. Quite often, I think lots of teammates don't like each other. I think that's a fact of life and the fact of any office or of any workplace. Um, and I... My personal view, based on everything I've read, know, been told, et cetera, et cetera, is that this sort of thing happens quite often. What was odd about the Sterling Gomez thing is that it was 24 hours after the actual incident. So normally you'd think going home and sleeping on it would you know, ease, your, ease your mind, and then Sterling's come back in the next day, travelled all the way there to St George's Park, and he's still fuming enough enough to, to do that. I suppose it was only the Sunday night game, wasn't it? It's not an enormous amount of time yeah, to and get a huge over result. But you as understand well. sort of tempers flare and, um, you know, heat of the moment see the red etc but a day later feels a bit odd to me um that feels like that that was what struck me the most that he's been simmering on this for whole 24 hours and didn't think i'm gonna not do something and chose to act upon it which i find very bizarre do you think southgate handled it in the best way jj did it need to be dealt with publicly in the way it was or could it have been settled internally uh, I don't. I th- it feels like they're trying to be so open with the press that maybe the best way for him to have dealt with it is the way he did it because it follows his current strategy, and I mean it makes sense. Everyone knows about it anyway. It, it stops having. It stops you having all these weird Twitter rumors and WhatsApp group messages coming around and fake chats. Mm. I, I, it, it makes sense to me. Not to me. No. Mm. I, I say this as as a journalist. It's a great story, and it made. A great week worth of story, you know. It, it was it, for journalistically, it was brilliant because it was plenty of things to talk about, and we're talking about it now still. But from a from a pure PR perspective, I don't see why he had to chuck Sterling out of the team, which made it a massive deal. And then, as we then saw, led to Joe Gomez being booed for reasons no one can quite understand. Do you have any reasons, Mina? Why was why was Gomez booed at Wembley? Because it, this is what I don't okay. This is going to go into a rant, so I was trying to, like, you know, save myself because. <laughs> so, what if you're booed? Like, as in, you know, like, he, I mean, the, everything that I read. <laughs> but it was all Boo. like, Joe was devastated. I get it. He's young and he doesn't understand what he's done wrong, but life's not fair, you know, like, and I feel like everything that's written, written about this, you know, like, Sterling, firstly, is considered the, what, alongside Harry Kane, the only world class player that England have, and that's what everyone keeps feeding us. And, and people are probably a little bit loyal to that so you know they'd rather keep Sterling happy than anyone else happy I don't know what the reasons are people just boo you know Di Stefano was booed at Real Madrid some of the greatest players at Lampard was booed like you know this happens in football and and my feeling about all of this with England is that this constant like you know like oh it's not fair and and this poor kid and how we're going to get through this you know like how many teams are pelted with, to, you know, with tomatoes or are sent bullets in the in, in the post or have their lives threatened or dropped for no reason just because, you know, I don't know. Like, Casillas basically lost out on his Real Madrid career because he called up um, some of his uh, Barcelona teammates and was like, guys, let's try to put the country before our, you know, club rivalry. Every day, you know, you looked at PK and Sergio Ramos having to play in that back line and you knew that they didn't like each other. You knew that Spain was like a little bit of a mess because Jose Mourinho had come in and tried to make it a mess. They still won the Euros in 2008, the World Cup in 2010, the, the Euros in 2012. It, I just feel like these things don't really matter. They don't deserve the airtime. And the fact that everyone is feeling all this like, 
oh, this is so sad, you know, like poor Joe is Sterling going to recover from this. What about our group? If you're not used to this type of like criticism aimed at you, then I'm not sure you can cut it at the highest level when it, you're playing a final. It's sad it, when your partner's at the game, though, is it not? Like, it was, I think I'm right in saying that Gomez's partner and possibly his kid was at Wembley to see that. Like, that's, that's yeah. it's a and, shame that had to happen. And this wouldn't have happened I agree if it had been made public. I mean, it, it would have come out. It would have come out because that's what happens. JJ's right. It would have come out. But to make it as big a deal, it, it, was, it, was, it was an issue which could have been dealt with internally and come out publicly and said, yeah, this happened. It's fine. Looking over it. To chuck starting out the team for that game heightened this and made it a massive deal. It turned it from a one-day story into a five-day story it did a also, perspective. It does also put the team first, though, and I can see why he's done it, because then you're you're trying to build a team and a togetherness in the squad, and if Sterling stepped out of line, we, I mean, we, we weren't in that... It was cafeteria meant to have happened, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah So we weren't there when it happened, so you don't know exactly what it was. Maybe it just was really out of order, and you go, well, do you know what? Like You're you're not playing, you're on a naughty step for this, and it... It sets a precedent because you can't lose control of the, of, you know, your discipline. Make sure that he's the authoritarian there. And uh, football fans are just—they don't Kane... often think independently. Yeah, I've got a theory <laughs> but... about this, which is quite simple. People just really like booing. It's yeah. really fun to do it. Go on. Oh, well, well, he I've just did it to me. It. Yeah, okay, yeah, you've had your, you've <laughs> had your. But didn't Kane say? It, yeah. Didn't Kane say that they decided on it as a group when he was doing his match interview, post-match interview yesterday? They were like, you know, what would you feel about Sterling and love? And then, and he was saying, you know, we decided as a group that you know he's not going to play the, the the game. So I just feel like it wasn't necessarily. Am I the only one it's, ever? It's very. I'm easy not sure if do. it's just Southgate's decision. And my point is, is that there are lots of really controversial points in football. For example, um, Solskjaer being asked about the penalty takers. But when Lampard was asked about the fact that you know who is your penalty taker? Is it Ross Barkley? Is it Georgie? He was like, well, it was Ross Barkley. Now it's Georgie. End of story. He just refuses to like indulge anyone. Whereas Solskjaer is always like, well, I, I mean, firstly, I think it's up to them. And, and, you know, like when it comes to this type of thing, like I would like, I, I don't want to judge, Southgate is perfect and he's done everything. And I agree with JJ. Like, I think this is the way that he thought was the best way to handle it. But sometimes it's a bit like, don't give the press what they're looking for. Don't give the storylines. Don't give people reasons to boo a player who, who doesn't want to have that on his first game or whatever it is um, after the, the, you know, that huge match against uh, Manchester City. But otherwise, I just feel like you have to swallow these types of things because it's what happens at international level. It's a very easy thing to do to drop somebody from Montenegro at home when you're pretty much already qualified. Yeah. If, for example, <laughs> Harry Kane gets annoyed in training ahead of the European Championships quarterfinal and swings an elbow and catches John Stones in the face and it's seen as a malicious thing, is Southgate going to say, well... You know, that's the precedent. Kane, you're out. Well, Obviously, the, he's not. I think, so, I think the precedent's pretty clear, Sam. Boo John Stones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's basically, it's basically, as Mina was saying, it's essentially just a PR comm story, which is, uh, thankfully for Southgate, it was only the second worst PR decision of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Katie Morley, and I'm the Telegraph's consumer champion. It's a big job title, but what it really means is that I help readers who are being ripped off. I've heard from scam victims, people whose insurance won't pay up, readers who've been on horrendous holidays or been fleeced by car hire firms. You name it, I've dealt with it. And I've managed to win back over £800,000 for our readers in less than six months. It's not always easy, though. I've spent hours on the phone arguing with companies and stepped in where the police refused. And time, as we all know, means money. 
That's where our subscribers come in. If you subscribe to The Telegraph, you're helping fund public service journalism like this, as well as great podcasts like the one you're listening to. So, if you'd like to help support what we're doing and get unlimited access to the huge range of world-class journalism, head to telegraph.co.uk slash audio. You can get 30 days free access to The Telegraph online, and after that it's just £2 a week. That's telegraph.co.uk slash audio, or click on the link in the show notes to this episode. Let's move on to the rest of the European qualifiers now, JJ. Scotland. Came from behind to beat Cyprus. Win on Tuesday? Uh, not tonight, but which is Monday. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> a win on Tuesday would be three on the spin. Is this it? Are they improving? Could the impossible happen? Could we see them at Euro 2020? No. Oh, no. That's fine. Like it, It's going to take some time. And uh, the problem is with Scotland is that it, it's a little bit like England in that we always need to have a... Re- so we, Scotland always need to rebuild. You can say we. I know. Come on. Mean as well. All right. Well, yeah. Nailed our colours to the most. Always need to rebuild. And then it starts to go... It, it, after a bit, it, towards the end of the tenure of someone's management, uh, like Gordon Strachan, for example, everyone starts going, we need to change. This is not good enough. But the results actually are getting better. And then they get change it and chop. And someone else comes in. Steve Clark did... Uh, Amazing things at Kilmarnock, like he really did, and it will take him time to get the players there. The players just aren't, they're missing really important players in important positions. There's no clear goal scorer, there's no goalkeeper. The defence is, uh, like, so, so the, the, the game against Cyprus, you had Scott McKenna, who's Aberdeen's star defender. He will probably be playing in England at some point quite soon. He's very talented, but he's been poor this, this, this year, and he got turned inside out by Cyprus players who I've not heard of, like, really easy, like, turning in at the end of the box. <laughs> Uh, pretty poor. Declan Gallagher plays for Motherwell. He's done very well and uh, deserved a chance in the team, but just didn't look up to it. The the midfield, you've got players like John McGinn, very talented. You know, Ryan Christie is uh, a proper star player. Um, James Forrest is also a really good player, but they're, they're missing something and it, it seems a bit disorganised and there's so many people who call out, come out of the, the team like we were missing Scott McTominay, you had Ryan Fraser, Andrew Robertson all pulled out, um, Liam Cooper as well. So there's players that, that just desperately in need of like a right back and all these sorts of things that we don't have. And I think the playoff that will happen, so the Nations League playoff, we, we will probably get drawn against either Israel or Bulgaria, is quite likely. And I think having watched Bulgaria, Scotland should pump them. I'm not sure about Israel. But uh, then it's only one leg uh, games that you play. And then the final would be against either Norway or Serbia. And oh. there's no way. <laughs> oh. I was uh, like, oh, I, I think you can beat Israel and Bulgaria. But then, yeah. Then, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the thing with Scotland is that they will find a way to uh, get to the final and be 1-0 up. And heroically, <laughs> brave, brave Scotland, <laughs> throw it away. What about brave, brave Wales, Sam? They have an important match against Hungary. Also on Tuesday, a win will get them through mm-hmm. to Euro 2020. Uh, we were a little bit scathing about Ryan Giggs's uh, reign so far on this podcast previously mm. on an international break. How do you rate his performance at the moment? Um, picked up dramatically in the last uh, month, I suppose. Yeah, month, last five weeks, six weeks. Um, there, have, there have been, I think, fairly criticisms of Giggs's uh, approach. I mean, for a long time, well, until basically last month, there was a real lack of any sort of defined playing style. Um Essentially, it was throw the young kids in and see what happens, which didn't really work in, in the games that mattered. And, and Wales basically didn't really look like a coherent team. Um, 
that seems to have all changed quite dramatically following the introduction of Kiefer Moore, who is probably the least likely uh, international hero you could imagine. Um, six foot five inch striker, used to be a lifeguard. His first two clubs were Truro City and Dorchester Town. I mean, this guy's come from nowhere and he's basically changed the way they play because he's, to put it uh, nicely, a big lump up front. And it means that people like Gareth Bale, Daniel James and Harry Wilson can actually play off him as a reference point now. And he was great. Again, Kiefer Moore was great again this weekend against Azerbaijan when Wales had to win and he scored the first goal then. He was great in Slovakia. I was there with them last month and he, he scored then too. Basically, when you've got players like James and Bale who can just beat their fullbacks and put crosses in, it helps have a guy that big. And I remember Peter Crouch, international, his international goal scoring record was amazing because basically far-flung small European nations don't know how to deal with these giants. And Kiefer Moore's come here, come in with his swinging elbows and enormous head and just battered, battered <laughs> teams, basically. And it's given them a, basically a platform to work from. So funnily enough, Giggs trying to spend a you know, year and a half trying to get this fast, free-flowing, all these kids with loads of talent playing. Actually, they've been better served by having the big lump up front to work yeah. on. But he does need to be a little bit more clinical. I feel like he wasted more. sort of, yeah... I He's think he wasted three, a, he? a chance to double the lead. Um, this was just before half time, I think, or maybe like, I don't know, 10 minutes before half time or so. He had a great chance um, that he totally missed. Um, and I actually like the guy in midfield. Um, Morel. That's the he one. He had a very good game. He had a very good game. And I feel like he had, there's been quite a lot of criticism aimed at him playing. But I thought he was really good as well. And you can see, like, I mean, I don't know how to judge this because, you know, it's Azerbaijan and they never troubled mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So you don't know what's going well, on Well, they there. did trouble them a lot when they played them at home a few months ago. Wells are terrible and they won 2-1, but that was like like the worst gigs performance, really. And everyone thought that it was like, that was what's it, going yeah. on here? So the way they controlled the game compared to then is a, a big step forward. And they've got Aaron Ramsey coming back in. Um, one of the big issues for, Bale, for Wales and Bale is that... Um, Ramsey's basically been missing for the whole campaign. Um, yeah. And he's back now, so that so should get help. it done against Hungary. Meanwhile, in Northern Ireland, Mia, we've got a lesser spotted club and international manager. Michael O'Neill has joined Stoke, but he will remain the Northern Ireland manager for their final two games of qualifying. Do you think it's possible to do that job? It, you're not going to be slightly distracted? You would be usually, but because it's sort of just, you know, the playoffs, like, you know, that that's it. That's all he needs to concentrate on. I think it's obviously a big job for him to take Stoke, uh, you know, and, and I totally understand why he's not going to say no to that job. I mean, it doubles his salary for one. But um, I, he's done such a terrific job with Northern Ireland and taken them so close and had so many amazing nights that I feel like whether he does amazing, like, you know, whether he's a little bit distracted or not, he almost deserves the chance to try it. And um, and you feel like there is a, a small chance that they could do something special. They've been excellent. They were very unlucky against uh, the Netherlands. And I don't know. I, I Yeah, I just feel like he deserves this chance to do something if he can do for the playoffs. He's described it as dead easy to combine the two jobs, um, <laughs> which feels a bit like someone talking themselves out of... I mean, he's basically saying that actually a job I've been doing for years isn't that difficult. <laughs> and he essentially said that, you know, you don't need much time to be an international manager because he said they don't have to worry about researching other teams because, yeah. frankly, they're not going to play again before we do, so there's time for all that. <laughs> which is, I can imagine international managers across the country, across the world, be like, no, shut up, <laughs> don't, 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 tell, don't tell anyone how easy it is. I bet he just um, delegates everything. I bet they do a lot of over-analysis, international mm. managers, because yeah. there's yeah. so little to do during the time. So you're yeah. thinking, but what if this happens? And then you th- mm. like a game of chess, you've got 
12 different scenarios when all you actually needed to put a big lad up front and uh, yeah, exactly. well, defend behind the ball. Get, get, <laughs> get the rook up top and uh, just yeah. feed them pawns. The, the obvious caveat to what I've just said, though, is that obviously he's built a structure and a core there, and which mm. is you know very solid and it's all in place now because he's built that himself. So dipping out of it for a few months surely surely you'll stick around destroy if, they, the machine. if they sneak into the euro surely you'll stick around let's turn our attention to the women's game jj a big weekend in the wsl women's football weekend two local derbies played at the uh, team's main stadium spurs arsenal and liverpool everton at spurs and anfield respectively what was your footballing highlight of the weekend uh, I mean, there were some nice goals here and there. Uh, Chelsea are top of the league at the moment, and it's, it's been Arsenal for the past 400 years, so that's <laughs> maybe a little uh, change there. They're only a point ahead, but that's important. Uh, I think the highlight would be that the crowds are significantly up. Um, they had 38,262 at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, whatever we call it at the moment. Uh, naming rights uh, stadium. Yeah, awaiting naming, naming rights arena. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's good. I mean, I was on my way home last night, and there was heaps of young kids with their 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 parents, mostly dads, taking them, um, boys and girls, all there. So that seems to be working quite well. I, I yeah, I don't yeah, know what feel, to say about like that. Feels like a good initiative, Mina. It's done the job of raising publicity for the women's game, and uh, seems like a, a, a good timing to do it during an international break. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because sort of, you know, I don't know, four years ago, you wouldn't have heard anything about this. But now that all you hear is about the race between them, you know, how many people are going. It's on TV. There's a lot. There's podcasts dedicated to it. There's shows like that, including it more often. There's really like this publicity surrounding it. And actually, it's not a case of no one enjoys this. So we're doing this because, you know, the tickets are cheap or whatever. It seems like people are actually finding the race really exciting to watch and, and the game's exciting to watch. It's good it's what they can play at the big stadiums now as well. Like Chelsea played it at not Stamford Bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, Kings Meadows. Yeah, Kings Meadows. But they have a... There's a lot of good players like, in the Women's Super League. There's some, like, some of the big stars in the World Cup are there. I mean, look at Chelsea. Like Erin uh, Cuthbert was playing for them. You've got Arsenal's team as basically a list of the best players at the World Cup. So, I mean, that's what you think they get there. And that it's starting to pick up and put, people will keep going to it, that you will go and see some of the best players in the world at these teams, and that just there. The average attendance for the WSL this year is up 313% from last season. Wow. Which is big. Uh, that's so big because, obviously, a lot of the games this season will be played in men's stadiums. But if you take the men's stadiums out, the average attendance is up by 45%, which is still quite good. Wow. Um, still so tidy. It's now 4,000 average attendance. And also, I think, maybe arguably even more sort of telling is that TV figures are also up. So, And we're talking about it on this podcast. Mm. Indeed, things are on an upward curve. The most ringing endorsement of all. Let's turn our attention back to the men's game, which is in a state of stasis in that it remains the most important thing in the world. Premier League returns next weekend. Manchester City versus Chelsea is the obvious pick of the games. Frank Lampard will fancy his chances in this meeting, you would have thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, it's it's a, it's the best time for me, I think, to to for them to play each other. And I feel like with Chelsea, back in the day, if you had asked me about this in the summer, I would have been like, for sure, that's an easy win for Manchester City. But when you look at this Chelsea side and you look at the control they have in midfield, the movement they have up front, how vertical they can be, how direct they can be, but how determined they are. I feel like they could definitely do something um, 
rather good, for, you know, for their team. They can definitely get a, at least a point in this. Um, or but Manchester City, considering what's happened to them or Liverpool, will have the psychological desire to sort of uh, impose themselves and, and make sure that everyone knows that who they are and they are going to be a, a team that is difficult to beat. I don't think they're very accepting of where they are in the standings right now. And this will be a huge test for them in the sense that they're going to try to prove themselves. I think City could absolutely do them. Oh, I think really? that's a definite yeah. possibility yeah. as well. Uh, they'll, be, they'll be so motivated. I really feel like it's going to be A few specific Chelsea. reasons for it. Like, um, I agree that they'll, get, they'll whenever they lose a game like that, they come back hard and they'll be right up yeah. for it. If Chelsea play this game in the way that has been going, I, I love watching Chelsea just now. I saw them against Crystal Palace and thought they were great. I, I agreed with all the things you just said. But um, there are obvious gaps in transition where they will get pumped by teams like Liverpool and Man City it'll go they'll go straight through the middle of them they're not they ha, they've been playing really well but not against great teams and I think what may yeah, happen here a- is if they approach it the same way and if you think with Lampard he might approach it in a different way and try and be more defensive because that makes sense they're away at the Etihad so you need maybe change the way you play but it's going so well why would you try and tinker with it you go and play in the way that's done well for you and that is exactly what Pep will have analysed, overanalyzed. He'll have every single thing worked out to how to get them. The players will be right up for it. And I think this could be something I'd love to see. I want, really want to see what Frank Lampard does with it. What about Arsenal, Sam? They're at home to a pretty dreadful uh, Southampton team, or they have been recently. Look at the Arsenal fixtures. They're looking pretty kind until Christmas. Norwich, Brighton, West Ham, Man City. All right, not so easy. Everton and Bournemouth. Do we expect mm. this to be another kind of pulling it back a little bit towards Emery and settling it all down a bit? Because it's been a tumultuous last few weeks for Arsenal. Um, I think it needs to be. I don't know whether we expect it to be. Based on the last six weeks, you wouldn't expect anything. But um, it certainly needs to be for Emery's sake and well for the whole the club's whole ambitions this season. Uh I predict there's going to be some sort of reaction. I think Southampton are there for the taking because they're clearly just a broken team, lacking confidence. But then, so Arsenal, you could argue. But um, there were signs of improvement, I thought, in the Leicester game when they lost 2 0. I know they got battered for that. I actually thought, for example, on match of the day, it was really harsh. Like they picked on Louise, for example, saying, oh, he gave the ball away here. If you actually watch that game, Louise was actually one of Arsenal's best players and he seemed really natural in that back three. So I think they might stick with that. And I think there were signs of progress there for sure. It's just... If they win three in a row, it'll it, change everything, wouldn't it? All the fans will be suddenly, oh, it's working now. But realistically, know, but though, when you look at it, you think... If they say it's 0-0 half-time, and you're going to get a and lot it will of... Be. And they're in the Emirates, there's going to be a lot of, sort of groaning and grumbling, and then he'll substitute Jacques on. And, you know, <laughs> no, so, they, oh, they could lose... They okay, get you ugly could, so fast. You feel like they could win against Norwich or, you know, Brighton. I don't know. Potter yeah. is... Good enough. West Ham, well, they still have Roberto, so that's going to be a disaster. Um, Man City, <laughs> you feel like that'll be a loss. Everton, I feel like, you know, that... It's a way, so they'll lose that. Do you see what I mean? And then Bournemouth, you know, which, like JJ way, so always tells that. us. You know, <laughs> like, so there we go. So I feel like how many of that can they actually win other than Norwich? Yeah, I suppose it could very easily go the other way and be the end for them. Uh, very nice. Anything else, JJ, sticking out to you on the Premier League docket next weekend? Uh Oh, let me yes, just tell you. Sheffield United <laughs> versus Manchester United. Oh, that's going to be good. That's going to be such a fun game. Um, because Solskjaer's inside now have five victories in the past six games. Um, 
you'll see like, you know, this broken dressing room versus Sheffield United's, you know, amazing Chris Wilder dressing room where everyone just feels really, you know, in sync and loving of one another and whatever it is and determined to play. It's a shame that Dean Henderson will be illegible. They're the new Huddersfield, aren't they, Mina? Huh? Are, you, are you in love with Sheffield United I, I'm now? so in, I'm in love with Chris Wilder more than anything else. I'm, more, I'm not, I don't really care about the team, but I feel like Chris Wilder just is, he's just the perfect coach. Overlapping centre-backs against overpaid centre-backs. Oh, Dino, don't do it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's, I hope you all saw this over the weekend. Fantastic video of the Nuneaton Borough goalkeeper, Tony Breeden, taking a penalty, smacking it over the bar and straight onto a light fitting, which fell off the stand and swung around very amusingly. So my question to you all is, what is the worst set piece you've ever witnessed? And it doesn't have to be a penalty. JJ? Um, I w- yeah, okay, I'll go first. That is good because I, I have asked you to, to go first. Else but there's, like, there's so many that I see all the time. As, as people may know, I support Aberdeen Football Club and most of the set pieces are pretty dreadful. Either a mistake where they don't under, they don't know what the actual plan is and it goes out. Uh, the only thing I can think of, uh, t- like that I can think of this morning when I was looking at this was um, when I went to see Aberdeen play in a semi-final. I think it was against Dundee United, and Cato Guntweit was doing warm-ups, and his free kick was so bad it hit me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Mina, wasn't there one where someone had to drop their shorts? And then it distracted everyone. I seem. I was trying to Google that for honestly about half an hour yesterday. If you should see my Google searches, like (laughs) like a basketball psycho. (laughs) It was. It was one of those things where everyone turned to look at what the hell happened over there, and then it was like. But then, and then I remembered um, the the one in the World Cup Germany against Algeria when Müller was uh, Thomas Müller was running and then tripped. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that one? Yeah. And and then they were saying, oh, you know, that this is how it was planned, you know, for the for the pass to be chipped over the Algerian defence and it just really didn't work out for them, did it? <laughs> what have you got, Sam? Uh, the undisputed worst corner in Premier League history. Iago Aspas against Chelsea at Anfield. Go yeah. on, remind so, us. Whoa, how could you forget? Okay, uh, this is when Liverpool going for the title 2014. Uh, Mourinho refusing to be the clown in his words, turned up at Anfield and basically parked the bus, shut Liverpool down, shut down their title hopes. And with about five minutes to go, it was still 1-0. So before Chelsea had made it two, Liverpool got a corner and it was all, you know, get a goal back and we're, we're in this, the dream's alive. <laughs> Iago Aspas, Liverpool legend, strolled over to take it in front of the cop. And for some reason, he tried to sort of play it along the ground towards the edge of the box. You know, sometimes when a player yeah. like peels out and sort of hits it, First time. <laughs> he just played it straight to Willian, who ran up the other end. And like that, I think that was, might have been his last touch of the Liverpool player. <laughs> certainly one of them. And it's, I think if you speak to any Liverpool fan or anyone uh, who ever watched that game and just say Iago Aspas, they'll just say, that was the corner. That's all he's known for is the corner. Did an interview actually in which he said, all I'm known for is that corner. So um, I'd like to add as well, almost every single free kick Ronaldo took for like a five year period when the excitement would build and he would always put it smash it straight into someone's chest in the middle of the wall why was he always allowed to take I them think, I think just proving his contract, point, well Ramsey's nicking them now yeah. <laughs> did you have one Tom you must have one from QPR well the, the thing that came to mind for me was there was a period in the first era of Ian Holloway being our manager 
where because he had a sort of big conversion when he was at Blackpool and decided, oh, I want to be like Barcelona. Football should be about joy. So he, he cleaned <laughs> up his act a little bit by the time he came back. But in his first spell, it, it was quite functional football. And every kickoff we had for about three years was the kick to kick off the game, straight back to someone stood on the edge of the centre circle, and then a ball hit as diagonally as far as possible out for a throw-in. So like, yes, get it out within three touches. It's like rugby. Yeah, territory. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's famously the old... Um, Hart said that in the cup final last season. <laughs> yeah. Statement of intent. F- famously the old um, uh, bet on who gets the first throw in, isn't it? Oh, I hope you're not accusing anyone of any... No, no, I'm speaking in, in general uh, terms. Division 2 in 2003. I'm speaking in general terms. I wouldn't, the... I wouldn't put that in any specific player or team. Good. The throw in when uh, Inter conceded Dortmund got their second from a throw in. Um, I was trying to think who was the player who let go of the ball. But uh, that was hilarious. Great story, Mina. Thank you. I'm sorry. (laughs) You can cut that part down now. We should also do best set pieces. Next time. (laughs) Not not now. That's your lot for this week. You can contact me on Twitter if you want to before next week's show. It's at Tom with an H. Gibbs. (laughs) Don't forget to send us an email if you'd like to. It's afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk. We'll read out the very best of what you send us. Subscribe to the podcast. You know you want to. Telegraph Audio Football Club. Type it in wherever you get your podcast. Hit the relevant button. You'll get it automatically each week. What a treat for you. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.